That was a beautiful story, wasn't it, boys and girls? Apart from the bad language and the rude words, just like Humpty uses. Do you remember when he and Hamble went shopping for the red wine? Shop, 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 shopping! And Humpty called her all the b****s under the sun because the useless bought the wrong bottle of Merlot. And like a right Humpty went on like a The Let's take a look at two more people who were just like that, through the Pentacontagon window. This week on the Mountain Pegcast. It does feel a bit, uh, without wishing to be snarky, a bit of a DC plan. It's a, it's a very sort of, it, it's a very Ooh. sort of low rent. It's horrible. <laughs> but you have to it's stick just, with it now. You, you, I know that. You've opened it, it's poured, it's done, you have to finish it. It's just a glass of fucking egg. <laughs> Are you all right? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I am Blackout. And we're here once again... To talk about the telly. Yes, hello to you. Thank you for joining us on this casual cultural critique of vintage television where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you head over to PeggyMountPod.com, info links for the episodes we're discussing is there in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch, say hello, suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. Before we fire the pistol and run like Billy or Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you mm-hmm. drinking? Well... I thought I'd be a little bit experimental. Uh-huh. I'm drinking Advocar. <laughs> Dear Lord. Ken, is it Christmas? They're not meant to know when we're recording this. Carry on. It's horrible. <laughs> but you have to it's stick just... with it now. You, you, I know that. You've opened it, it's poured, it's done. You have to finish it. It's just a glass of fucking egg. <laughs> Ken will be on that. It's fucking horrible. Oh, dear. Nah. nah. So that's me. Yeah, I'm stuck with that. What about you? Uh, I am drinking an Old Crafty Hen Oak Aged Vintage Ale by Moreland. Nice, nice. Old Crafty Hen. Uh-huh. So today's Viewfest. Should we crack on with it? Let's, let's. What's that in your hand? Is that a letter? It is indeed. We've had post. The postman's been... Can I can I read it now, or do you want to save it? Go, Let's read it now. It. Let's read it right. <clears throat> go for it. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. Dear Peglings, is it true that producer Ken once arm wrestled Penelope Keith, lost, and had to eat ten hard boiled eggs as a forfeit? Yours, Tom Goodman in Surbiton. Well, thanks for writing in, Tom. Yes, it is true. Although, if you know Ken like we know Ken, you'll know that the loss was entirely deliberate because you know there's a plate of eggs in his eye line. He cannot get enough of them. Hot or cold, he pops them in whole, spits out the shells bit by bit. You've never seen anything like it. Christmas Day, apparently, as well, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mind you, Penelope Keith have been on the show since 7am, so it's to be expected. Yeah, to be fair. yeah that's very true. Um, OK, another web of lies and deceit is our next programme. Beautiful link. Spider-Man and 
and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. This is Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Created by Marvel in 1981 for the US TV market, this is an animated show where Peter Parker shares an apartment with his Aunt May, Bobby Drake, a.k.a. Iceman, and Angelica Jones, who was the specially created Firestar. This episode was broadcast on Children's BBC in October 1983. It's Series 1, Episode 1, The Triumph of the Green Goblin, where Norman Osborn's alter ego plans to poison New York's water supply with a chemical that will turn the city's residents into creatures like him. I loved this. I loved Spider-Man and his amazing friends. <laughs> Tremendous. I did, I did. I absolutely love it. So I'm going in here, unlike me, blinkered. Okay, um, okay, okay. But- completely biased well I am and I'm not you know what normally I'm very picky about this the animation's very clunky now I like rudimentary anima- animation yes I like I like base yeah I like crude animation to it to a degree um but this is trying to be something and it's not being achieved so I've got a little bit of the beginning title sequence is a, is a, a clear demonstration of this but I don't mind because you know what the stories in these are cracking um the characterization Brilliant. You've answered a question of mine. I had a feeling that Firestar was created for the series. I didn't think she was a. She was created for this. I don't recall mm. her being in subsequent comics. I could well be wrong about that. Happy to put my hands up if mm-hmm. that is the case. But I haven't seen her in anything after that, which is a shame because, mm-hmm. yeah, she's pretty great. Yeah, again, I always mention the theme music. Uh-huh. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Not only is it brilliant, the incidental score is tremendous as well. Can I play you? This. You get fancier treatment, but I'm late for a date. (laughs) We are late for our dates, Webhead. And then there's this. Of being the Green Goblin? <laughs> Never! <laughs> Never! Now, you always know good music when it sticks in your mind. Yeah. Those those little those little chords, if you call them, I don't know, I'm not a musician. I was only in a band for five years. Um, they they've embedded themselves in my psyche. I hear them every <laughs> every six months or so they come back. Uh, there's a there's a number of shows that do that to me. Yes. Uh, but this is one of them. What they had such a hook. So tremendous. Yeah, this is really clunky, and again, I do not mind. It's far more basic than I remember. I definitely recall this being cooler, but I was 10 at the time, so my definition of cool was as suspect as it is today. Nicely put. We don't see it in this episode, but in later episodes, we do see what happens to the flat when they pull a little lever and uh, all the furniture revolves. Ah, um, uh, okay. It turns into something that looks like the NASA control room, mission control. It's just, it's incredible. In fact, it's not even a flat, you know. It's in Aunt May's house. How did she not know this work was going on? Where was she? So, yeah, there's that. And the one thorn in my side. Go on. That that fucking dog. (laughs) He has got an oddly human face. I didn't take note of its name. I hope you can remember it. Miss Miss Lion. Lion. That's it, Miss Lion. That is the Godzuki of this cartoon. That is the Godzuki. That is the Scrappy Doo. Imagine naming your dog after a type of cat. 
You know what I mean? I like that bit where, at the start, where they stop a couple of jewel robbers and they take that like massive hold all that's just absolutely stuffed with gems. A nice man turns around and goes, Mind, the Rosas don't know how much is in here. If we keep a handful before we give it back, think of all the skag we can get. <laughs> Uh-huh. I do love how integrated the Marvel Universe has always been, though. Yes. So you've got yes, yes, yes. basically Spider-Man in this. Like we said, Firestar is new. But you've got Iceman out of the X-Men. But in terms of your Marvel Universe, when you're reading the mm-hmm. comics, they're basically in mm-hmm. and out of each other's houses all the time. It's like yeah. this massive sort of shared city. There is a feeling now that people think that the Marvel Cinematic Universe invented this. Whereas, obviously, and our our audience, obviously, um, we know that that's always been the case. That's why the MCU works so well, because it should always have been this broad. Not getting into the yeah. fact that Iceman is part of the X-Men thing, so he's not in the MCU, but we'll leave that for... That's fine. That's for a different podcast. Mm, that's for... <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful nods to Spider-Woman. Yes. Uh, in, in this. I do. Um, in that you're doing that. Yeah, you know what? I've, I've got that. They go to this costume party. Firestar goes as Spider-Woman. That's great. Iceman goes as Captain America. I'm loving that. That's cool. Spider-Man going to a costume party as Spider-Man. Tight ass. It's either... Well, he well he wears a different... He, but he, no, he wears a different costume and mask and that, so it's not like it looks like Spider-Man's turned up. But that's either properly meta or a complete lack of imagination on his part. It's a complete lack of imagination on his part, largely because he's very bitter, because I know his age is not defined in this, but Spidey, around this time, sh- should be about, what, 1920, would you say? 19 or 20 years old? The character comes over a- like he's in his late 20s, yes. Yes, he does. And I've literally got late 20s in my notes. Yeah. That's what I've got. If we're being generous, it's late 20s. Uh-huh. Yeah, they are still students at this point because they're in later episodes, they're, they're at uni, they're doing whatever. So 19, 20 years old. Yeah, but Parker keeps getting held back because he's thick. Yeah, well, there is that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, could be right. Um, no, but great, great sort of nod to other Marvel characters in this fancy dress party. And also, actually, uh, quite clever of them to have Angelica dressing as Spider-Woman, which was a Marvel cartoon from 1979. So I guess they're kind of going, watch this, remember this still exists. Uh-huh. Bit of trivia here, uh, voiced by Joan Van Ark from Knott's Landon. I only found that out recently as well. Fan- bizarre. Fantastic anyway. work. Again, I refer to later episodes. They meet the X-Men. Um, so they bring in more more characters from the Marvel Universe, uh-huh. which is which is great. I'm not convinced of um, Norman Osborn. Well, not Norman's. It's Green Goblin's plan. <clears throat> I will turn the city ugly. Really? <laughs> really? That's it? It does feel a bit, uh, without wishing to be snarky, bit of a DC plan. It's a, it's a very sort of, it, it's a very Ooh. sort of low rent. I know I'm going to put some. I'm going to. I'm going to make everyone like me. Well, the Joker did that. That was in 1989. But you know, it's just the same. I'm just going to make everyone like me because I mean, is that literally the breadth of your ambition, mate? Just making everyone else into the Joker. Blackout's only saying that because he, because he's Marvel and I'm DC. <laughs> That's, that's why he's saying that. <laughs> this is I'll true. i point that out. I'm not saying for a single second that when Jack Nicholson's Joker did this in 1989, he was ripping off a cartoon from eight years earlier. I am saying that, but I'm not. Um, no, I'm just saying it seems like a bit of a basic... It's, it's a very one-note plan. Just going, what's the best thing... 
what's the most evil thing I can do? I know, make everyone else exactly the same as me. You're not a supervillain, mate, you're a goth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see him fight Herbie from the new Fantastic Four. <laughs> what I want to know is, mm. when they're in the um, in the warehouse factory bit, Spider-Man mm-hmm. walks into the middle of a... You know, if you were Spider-Man... You'd always stay very close to all of the walls because that's your strength, climbing up walls. So the minute he walks into like the middle of a football pitch, he's like, I'm very exposed here. So he walks into this big bit, and then for reasons I'm I'm not even sure how this works, these massive four walls suddenly slam down around him and a roof on top of that. So the, the Green Goblin has set this up. Um, And then these other traps from inside of this room that Spider-Man is now sealed in, like sort of heat and electricity and all of this gubbins, how 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 does the Green Goblin set all of this up? I know, right? Did on he, his own. Did, did he have Gran help on him with some string? Right, right. This is yeah. unfeasibly complex. There he is on the radio going, someone open the back door in Gran's house to activate it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> in all honesty, mate, if you can trap him, by dropping four walls on the roof now. Do that, put a hole in the top, then just start filling it with water. That's literally all you've got to do. You've wasted yeah, money yeah, on yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you take away the insane un- unfeasibility of the Green Goblin, you know, what is Norman mm-hmm. Osborne? He's a middle-aged mm-hmm. man in a purple shorts onesie and pixie shoes with a handbag. <laughs> yes. And I think there's something for us all in there. Yeah. <laughs> So a wonderful superhero romp with nicely injected little bits of humour and not patronising humour either. It's all right. It's 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 nice. I kind of think, ah, oh, it made me smile. That that's all right. Nice little touches. Apart from the dog. So Spider Man, the what? Apart from the dog. Apart from the dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So all right, Spider Man and his amazing friends. How many pegs would you put upon the line? Well, given its age, and given how sophisticated mm-hmm. both animation and superheroes in general have become. This is mm-hmm. very solid. I'm giving this 7 out of 9, which for me is high praise. Do you know what? I completely agree. Another 7 from me. Excellent. Absolute <laughs> solid 7, without a doubt. But how many mm-hmm. steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? Uh, well, for me, tis three. So, the uncredited narrator of this series is one Stan Lee, who appeared in The Princess Diaries 2 with Julie Andrews, who starred, of course, in Trail of the Pink Panther. Next to Peter Sellers, who also popped up in the 1957 comedy The Naked Truth with Peggy Mount. Well, I was thinking about flowers, but if you think she'd rather have carrots... Excellent work. Excellent work indeed. What about yourself? As it turns out, I can match you step for step. I can also do it in three. <laughs> Spider-Man is voiced by Dan Gilverson, who also lent his tones to 1986's Transformers movie, along with Eric Idle, who of course starred in Nuns on the Run, with Doris Hare, who appeared in the first series of Celebrity Squares on a panel with Peggy Mount. Mrs. Willis will be glad to hear how long she stayed in your memories. Of course she did. Of course she did. Doris Hare. Good Lord. 
Doris Hare was on the buses, of course, uh, back in the 70s. Why don't you get yourself on a bus and go out and buy these things? Hence the Croft Originals. Dead folly, you Jeeves. I was about to observe, sir, that from time immemorial, cream sherries have had a somewhat dark brown aspect. But now, Croft Original, with its light, delicate hue, has become... The absolute thing, Jeeves. Just like my dancing. Ah, <laughs> uh, you were dancing, sir. What do you think I was doing, Jeeves? I assumed, sir, that a wasp had flown up your trouser leg. Croft Original Pale Cream Sherry. One instinctively knows when something is right. Don't go spare when the kids are in your hair. Take them up to Buckley's and you'll never have a care. They get their share of fun at the fair. It doesn't cost a penny, so I never lose my hair. There'll be castles on the front or on a treasure hunt. They'll even get you laughing when they pull a little stunt. There will be rains, there were shows and games. When a lot of our holidays are money down the drain. Jump in the pool, they'll teach you how to crawl. They serve more fun than being back at school. Late at night when they're chop, chop, tight. We all get together for a fight and a fight. So if your name is slip or brick or white, it really doesn't matter if it's slip or black. And welcome back. Did you go out and buy some shopping? I wonder if you did. Did you buy the things? Yeah. <laughs> um, if you've got an armful of goodies, take them to the checkout with this. Yes, this is Slinger's Day, the ITV sitcom developed as a sequel to the Leonard Rossiter vehicle Tripper's Day, in which Bruce Forsyth stars as Cecil Slinger, the manager of Superfair, a town centre supermarket taken over from Rossiter's tenure in 1984. This is Series 1, Episode 1, New Management, originally broadcast in September 1986, very much a Tuesday night comedy here. It's a busy ordinary morning as Superfair prepares to open the doors, expecting Mr Slinger to arrive any minute, but a case of mistaken identity means that they think a visitor is their new boss. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> oh, don't. <sighs> it's fucking shit, this. <laughs> before we even... Right, yeah, no, before we do... The Harry Worth reference that they make within right. within the first five minutes, right, was already over a quarter of a century old in 1986. That's where we are, right? This is someone in 86 saying, who's our reference? People who get comedy things from 1960. Do that, yes. Yes, literally, yes. Dear yeah. Lord. I'll, qu- I'll, I'll say it again. Is the war on? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And... Oh dear. I should Rosie. point out before we go further, I know I can hear the I can hear fountain pens being taken out of bureaus and letters being drafted as we speak. I certainly have a massive undying respect and love for Bruce Forsyth. No, I really do love Sir Bruce. He deserves more than this, doesn't he? I'm with you completely on that. I mean Brucey, good grief. The all rounder, the consummate professional. Absolutely. Um I have so much love for the man. 
Uh, yeah, he does. He does. Then again, it was nice to see him in an acting role. I never had done before I saw this back in the day. Yeah, there weren't many of them. There weren't. And uh, it was nice to see him in that. However, the vehicle just, it didn't ride. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, though, Forsyth aside, uh-huh. this is a little bit of a who's who, mind, of of sitcom actors. Did you recognise a few familiar faces? Um... I recognise faces, not so much names, apart from David Kelly, of course, who's an absolute master of the genre. Absolute. Um, My God, he comes in there, he storms in there, he owns it, he's he totally does. He's definitely been parachuted in to try and rescue a show which should never have been made. Yeah. Even after Leonard Rossett had died to get out of returning. Right. Don't forget, everyone, we've seen Reginald Perrin, we know he's got form for this. That's right, well, yeah, that's right. So David Kelly, uh-huh. okay. Um, so there's him from the Bill with the dark hair. Yeah, hi, hi, yeah. You remember him? I know who you mean. Yeah. Anyone okay. listening at home, look in the show notes. Have a look on the IMDb. Look, look up the names that we should have looked up when we were writing notes for this, rather than just yes, slagging yes. it off. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, uh, <laughs> just well, do that. Much shock. Um, yeah, just, just Google him from the Bill. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then the. In the beginning scenes, when when the, all the chaos starts, because um, the the till operator uh-huh. um, is that what they're called? I guess it is. A uh, little cashier, t- if you've been generous, I suppose. So that girl is an actress called Vicky Licorice, who was very prominent in children's TV at the time. Is that a real name, uh, or have you made that up? I think it's a, no, no. That's a, I think that's a, um, the stage name. But she was known as Vicky Licorice when she was on. Uh, no offense to Vicky Licorice, but it sounds like you've got a made up name. I know you'll be listening. She was um, she was in Going Live, I think. She made a guest appearance or Saturday Superstore. I definitely, that time, I definitely she... remember her face. Yeah, yeah. She was in Wizbit. She was also in Wizbit. I don't know. if She cropped up in EastEnders at one point. I didn't know that either. But I don't watch EastEnders. I hate it. Um, so the chaos ensues because she mishears or misinterprets the the reason this person's popped into the supermarket. Blah blah blah. Off <laughs> we go. Da 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 da. So in other words. What what the ITV sitcom, what ITV is saying, right, is it's a woman's fault that all of this happened. Well well done, ITV. Well done, guys. Yeah. A very, very yeah. progressive. I know it was 1986, whatever. And then, then they try and um, try and redeem themselves at the end when that guy uh, calls himself Donald Duck and says he has nephews called Huey, Dewey and Louie. That felt like it had been taken from another episode. Of a different program. I don't even know what that was about. Uh, <laughs> was that program perhaps how not to write a sitcom? Could have been. To be to be fair, dear listener, unless you're... I'm assuming you're not getting the drift yet. Slinger's Day is a shit second-rate ITV sitcom for about the first ten minutes until Bruce Forsyth turns up. Then it becomes shit entirely on its own terms. Yeah. How has Bruce done this? It's it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. I would love for this to have worked. Don't know how I'd improve it. Don't know. Don't know what the answer is with Slinger's Day. It's just, and I I, I haven't mentioned the theme music yet. I tend to, you know, I like to mention the theme music. Yeah. The theme music is desperate. Uh-huh. It's the it's the instrumentation used. It basically says, "Look at us, we're funny. Come and laugh at us." Again, no. If you uh, if you lovely people at home want to check out the show notes, there is a link to this in the show notes. You can hear it for yourselves. Dear God, 
I warn you though. I warn you though. For all it's it's pathetic and it's it's almost <laughs> sycophantic <laughs> instrumentation. There is a hook to it which will which will embed itself in your mind. So uh, do take care when listening to it. <laughs> nah, nah. Take your trolley and push this show into the canal. That's what you want to do. On a behind-the-scenes level, I did like mm. looking over the credits at the end um, where mm-hmm. it displays the cast list. Uh, mm-hmm. There are the names of all of the performers, of course, but they are listed as, and I quote, woman, man, and scruff. <laughs> can you can you imagine how detailed wow. the backstories are when these performers turn up on set and they go, what's my motivation here? And he goes, I don't know, scruff. <laughs> maybe, maybe you read your lines and stand over there, yeah? We've got three minutes to film this scene. You're holding us up. Uh, speaking of the casting, am I alone mm. in getting so far through this episode and thinking, hang the fuck on just a minute, Carl Howman? Oh, yes. That's a name <laughs> I forgot. Yes, I did the same. I should imagine that Carl Howman has hopefully forgotten as well. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Cut to warehouse. Hell, Carl Howman? Uh, act- Carl, actual. From the Flash adverts, you know him. Flash advert and and Mulberry. Mulberry, Mulberry. yeah, that's uh, what I believe he's most famous for, his sitcom Mulberry. We might be covering that next series, I don't know. The only other other thing I have in my notes here is the bit we've completely glossed over this, which I feel the show deserves. Um, The bit where they're in the store and there's like a protest, uh, some these environmental protesters come in and stage like a sit-in. And one of them's kicking. Oh, yeah. One of them's kicking off over the fact that a supermarket in a street mm-hmm. sells dog food. That's right. That's this is where activism was in 1986. If you're a sitcom writer, yes. those cans on display that have a picture of a dog and say "doggy chunks" on them, clearly mm-hmm. made for this. How many of those prop pieces do you think still exist? Oh, do you want one? I do. <laughs> I, do, I do want one, yes. I knew it was coming to that. I knew. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking this is a thing specifically made. Someone has had to... You couldn't just send something to the printer in the office in 1986. You had like a dot matrix piece of shit. These have been sent to a printer's, right? Someone has had to design that label, Yeah. get what is presumably a regular size, big tender like pedigree chum or you know, some proper brand that will cover that, stick that. These have been made for this show. There's probably more effort been made into that put into that label than there has into the script. And there's quite there's quite a few on the display. I want to know where they are now. Yeah, well, that's my point. Okay, let's put something out there to our dear listener. Would you like to... Uh, hang on. The internet is na- it makes the world a smaller place. Somebody somewhere is bound to know somebody who did something with those labels. Make Blackout's Day. Get them one of them cans, will you? What we're saying is one of you... One of you has got them. If you listen to this podcast, you've probably got one of those cans. There are about a dozen on there, and we've counted them. We've got about 11 listeners. So how are we looking for pegs on the line? One. Actually, no, I'll take that back. I'll put another one on there, two, because of Brucey. (laughs) And I'm putting one peg on for David Kelly and one for Brucey. Okay. I did the same. I originally scored it two, but I'll give it a three just for Bruce. Right. My goodwill for yeah. Bruce runs that deeply. Far, Absolutely. far more than it should for a series like this. Tragic, isn't it? Tragic. Never mind. Okay. 
with that in mind, um, how many steps will it take you to yodel up the mountain? I can do it in two. Oh. So, David Kelly appeared as a vicar in The Italian Job, which featured John LeMessurier from sitcom George and the Dragon, which starred Peggy Mount. Ask her for a Beecham's powder and she shows you the way to the railway station. Nice, 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 nice. So, can you match that? I can do it in two. Go for it. Bruce Forsyth starred in the 1970 comedy The Magnificent Seven Deadly Sins with Joan Sims, who was in 1956's Dry Rot alongside Peggy Mount. That's typical of Mildred Fanshawe, that is. Excellent work. Excellent work. Wish we could say the same about Slinger's Day. Quite. Indeed. So that has been your Peggy Mount Calamity Hour for this time. Yeah, thanks once again for stopping by, you lovely people. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email peggymountpod at gmail.com or we are at peggymountpod on Twitter. You can also find us by searching for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. Don't forget to go to peggymountpod.com, check out the show notes of this episode. You can even watch Slinger's Day if you like. More importantly, use those socials and get Blackout a, a, a can label of doggy chunks. I don't want the label, Slinger's I want Day. the can. I want it on the original screen used can. I don't just want you a label. all you. I don't just want a label that was sitting around in the office and didn't get put onto one of the props. I want the actual prop. There you go. You've been told. I'm def- you know, I'm willing to pay for it. I'm willing to pay postage. <laughs> Can't get further than that, can you? Not at all. All right. Let's see. They, they, they exist somewhere. They do exist somewhere. All right. Okay, well, let's see if anyone out there can do it. And uh, with that, we'll be back soon. Until then, keep pegging. The Peggy Man Calamity Hour is a free podcast from Michael Media, which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit peggymountpod.com.